for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome to the 32nd episode of the Folk Podcast. Today, we have a first-time thing. We got two people on the same camera. Well, well, no, I mean, I guess Ian and I did that. But we got two people as guests on the same camera because they work together on running their business. Um, actually, I'm just going to toss it to you guys. You guys know more about your own business than I do. So we got William and Lindsay, who um, are craftsmen and uh, craftsmen and women in the uh, Heathen and Fagan community. So go ahead and tell everyone about yourself and uh, the business you run and kind of what you do. Um, well, I guess uh, William and this Lindsay, and uh, we um, kind of started Wildling Woods in order to attempt to reconnect people um, to the forest and uh, you know, I think music is a good way to connect to yourself and um, also to the gods. So um, we try to use raw pieces of the forest um, and be as sustainable as possible. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of started as a, a long time um, construction worker doing concrete and whatnot. And I realized after many years actually 17 years, I'm 34 now, um, of doing this, that, uh, you know, I could work with my hands really well, but I really de detested what I was doing. It was, it was breaking my body, but it was also just ripping into the land. And I felt like um, I was a part of this consumerist society where everybody's just tossing up and tossing up and tossing out and tossing out. So there's these dumpsters being hauled off of garbage and you know, um, these new buildings going up all over the place. And I just realized that uh, we're taking a lot um, from the land without giving back. And so um, I know I, I don't also wanted to make sure that I didn't continue to do that in our business, um, which is why we do a lot of everything without electricity, without power tools, everything's done by hand um, with the old ways. Uh, I think that way it makes me more mindful of every cut and every board, um, every piece that we take from the forest, uh, because there's a lot of work involved. So uh, to give everyone an idea, what do you guys uh, make for the most part? What is your, your your biggest things you like to make? I know you brought up musical instruments um, and you got them here in the background for us, but obviously people listen to this as a podcast can't see that. Uh, right. So go ahead and just uh, run us through kind of what you like to make the most. Um, we, we work with uh, predominantly um, tackle harpas and harps. Actually, what you're seeing behind us is, is this is our workbench. Um, so we just kind of set up the, uh, the computer in front. Uh, but anyway, we, we, for the most part, we make um, tackle harpas or Viking violins. Um, that seems to be the hot item a lot of people want. We also do a lot in the way of uh, um, lyres. Um, I, my favorite lyre that I have is a, a Trossingen style lyre. We're making two more of those for uh, a couple of the tribe members now. And, um, so we're really starting to get into lyres and um, as well as the tackle harpas and drums, hand drums. We make willow hand drums from uh, steer hide uh, currently and willows. Uh, otherwise, 
during hunting season, we uh, take them with, uh, use them with locally sourced deer hides, um, which we prepare ourselves. And then we fell willow from a local forest. Willow is ex an extremely sustainable tree. It grows very quickly. So it's one that I like to work with because I feel very minimally invasive to the forest while using it. And uh, the deer hides are something that um, we work with many different hunters in the area. Uh, and a lot of them butcher their own deer. So we take the skins of what would just generally be discarded back into the swamps or um, into the trash of many times. Uh, and we, we turn them into, you know, something to kind of praise that animal's life and help people reconnect some to themselves, to the woods and to the gods. So I think a good way to go is actually, it's funny, I, I, Ian, I just assume you're always part of our, our Midwest gang here because, you know, you're just part of the podcast and I see you about every week now on the podcast, uh, but you actually haven't met them. So what kind of questions do you have? Because you're kind of like our, our, you know, our emissary for the people who don't know William and Lindsay. So what, what questions do you have for them both about their, you know, maybe their practice or their business? I mean, yeah, yeah, this is my first time actually being able to talk to you guys, not through the Discord and whatnot. So it's, it is really exciting. And I love a lot of your work. I've actually am planning on hopefully getting a toggle hopper made because I've been looking at getting one as well. Um, I mean, just kind of being a, I would say, a, a mediocre craftsman myself. I've dabbled in quite a few different things and, and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, besides, you know, having previously worked in, in a form of construction and stuff like that, um, what I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, as far as why musical instruments, because music being, um, you know, something that kind of reconnects us to ourselves and the land. But I mean, uh, was there any other specific, uh, any other specific things that you guys craft besides musical instruments? We do a lot of room sets and um, like bind room charms and stuff for people. And it's still another type of instrument, but we also do like rattles, like hoof rattles and stuff like that. Those are a little more obscure. They're a little more limited because it's like one deer per set of rattles, usually one animal per set of animals. And, you know, we don't have just a hundred animals to, to take from or anything. So we make them a lot more limited, but yeah, we, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, to be honest, but we've, we're dabbling in a lot of things. Somebody wants us to make flutes for them. And um, we make Nepotable sets as well. Sets. Oh, I yep. can't believe I forgot that. We make Nepotable <laughs> sets as well and uh, Tabocast sets, like dice sets. Um, so to kind of go a little bit from my perspective, which is interesting, uh, because the first time we met formally was uh, Kentucky Yule. And even before then, I think we only talked a little bit. We hadn't talked too much. Um, and I think it was primarily with you, William. And so it, it was, it's interesting that after having these gatherings for over a year now, in fact, we just celebrated the, the one year anniversary of these gatherings, is the ability of just fast family. I, I don't even know what the, the, the right term for that is, um, but it still happens. I don't know how, I don't know what magical spell we're using or whatnot, but there's just this magical ability that the moment people come to a gathering, it only takes a few minutes before all of a sudden it was like, no, these people were meant to be here. And I, I definitely felt that right away with both of you. Um, it, I feel like you just became so integrated into our, our community 
in our culture. Um, and then that was never more prevalent than last week when we just got back from a gathering. Um, you guys were there and it was just like, it, it felt like you guys have been a part of this for a year, um, just as long as Caleb's been a part of this or Ian's been a part of this. But we were all actually from different stages. You know, Ian was about midway through last year. You guys were towards the end of last year. And of course, Caleb and I at the very beginning. And so it's just, it, it's so wild, um, just like that family connection we feel right away. Um, so I don't know if this is like a pertaining to a question or anything like that, but mostly it's just, a, it, it's been it's been so cool because we've only known each other for three months and uh, it, we already feel, I personally already feel so much closer to you guys. Absolutely. I can agree, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, the, it was crazy actually how, um, how many members of the community were uh, so accepting very quickly of, of us. I mean, a lot of times we're kind of, you know, we, we um, perceived the outsiders. We got the dreadlocks and, you know, look like the hippies and stuff. So I think a lot of people kind of stay standoffish to us. Uh, um, and this, uh, this group of people just definitely was not that way. You know, we got there and everybody had amazing wisdom to share together. And uh, I feel like I've really grown just uh, honestly as a person since I've gotten to uh, get in with this group of individuals. I feel uh, very grateful to have met everyone. Yeah, everyone gets freaked out by the bones and the the hippie look, but meanwhile, I'm like, oh, these are my kind of people. What's right. <laughs> <laughs> I only dress as a hipster to make people feel better, but otherwise, I would just be covered in bones all the time. <laughs> you should see the look on the um, our friends' faces, like the hunters that share their extra stuff with us. You should see the look on their faces when we tell them we'll take all of the bones. They're like, "Why do you want skulls? What are you going to do with these?" Yeah, yeah, it's we, pretty hard to explain. <laughs> we actually just had a hunter friend of our, a brand new hunter friend of ours that we just met yesterday through another hunter. Um, he's got a couple of raccoons up in his barn. He goes, "Uh." If I get these raccoons out, you want them for the pelts? I'm like, heck yeah, man. <laughs> and that was the same day we got gifted a, a mink off the road. So I'm going to have some mink skin too. That's another thing we do a lot of work with is um, hide tanning. I think it's a good way to honor that animal's life. And uh, this one happened to be roadkill, but it was fresh roadkill and it wasn't all spl splattered all over the place. So we figure, you know, we'll go ahead and uh, honor that animal's life too. Well, shoot, I remember like uh, back when I worked at the car lot, you know, because it's Kentucky. I love Kentucky. It's so wild. Uh, like the guy that would paint like the small paint chips on our cars and stuff like that. Um, he also was a moonshiner, uh, made moonshine in the hills, and he was also a hunter trapper. Um, and me and him were gotten talking about beavers one day. And he's like, man, beaver business isn't very good right now. I'm like, what's the beaver business? <laughs> and we started going into it. And he's like, yeah, I can only get like $25 a beaver right now. I'm like, you mean like catching it? And he's like, yeah, catching it and skinning it and selling the skin. And I'm like, what? Like fur trapping used to be the thing, you know, 300 years ago. I mean, America was basically founded on fur trapping. Uh, and so it's interesting how much the dynamic has shifted, which is why I'm really appreciative of what you guys do, because not only do you take the pelts, but you also then reincorporate them into other things, um, which is something that I think as, you know, as a society in general, we have lost is this incorporation of all the animal. I mean, I can only imagine like these big factory farms that produce, you know, burgers from McDonald's, you know, what happens to the, you know, the, you know, the, the leather, the hide, um, the, you know, bullhorns and things like that. What happens to those? They just get discarded and destroyed. You know, think of all the things we could create with, you know, while honoring all the animal um, once again. 
and if they're not uh, just discarded, then they're only pushed off in a monetary purpose. Um, there's no honoring of these animals' lives. And I think that that is another issue with our society is being um, you know, filled with a lot of car carnivores and meat eaters that everybody's disconnected from the life of the animal. And um, you know, I think that life is the most sacred gift we could be given. I think uh, all things need to be honored in life and death. One, uh, it's funny, we just came off an episode filming with uh, Oaks and O's, uh, Ben, who, who's a member of our community, but he hasn't been able to kind of attend a gathering in a while. Um, we were talking about parenting and, uh, you know, to kind of bring it in from that, one of the things I plan on doing with my children um, is taking them to a like uh, meat processing facility um, and showing them what actually happens. Because honestly, like at one of the gatherings that was next to a, a pig farm, like a pig slaughterhouse, and listening to the sounds of the pigs dying and smelling the, what happens when the pigs die um, for three days. Honestly, I haven't eaten pork since, or at least I eat it very sparingly because of how horrible it is. Now, you know, I, I will eat if it's from a, you know, a really good source from local farmers and things like that, that I know take care of the process of killing the animal and, and using it. Uh, but once you actually see one of these factories farms, like one of my friends lived next to a Purdue farm for chickens um, and just the smell that comes off of it, it smells it doesn't smell like a farm it smells like death and it's like once you actually experience that you won't eat purdue chicken anymore you won't eat hormel pork anymore because of you see what happens to it right yep i, I understand that now it, this kind of brings me back to i guess the spare parts you talked about how there's a lot of waste in these animals um you know we were able to take waste from a hunter and uh we made um we call it bone bone broth bone broth yes bone broth soup and we ate off of it for dang near a week you know and that's that's a four-person household so that's how much waste comes off these things and uh you know we we have uh we're, we're talking about the big box places being kind of a nasty ordeal um we, we had a squirrel and um deer hearts in our freezer. So, you know, if we were to do a lot more with the animals, uh, like our ancestors would have, um, there'd be a heck of a lot less waste. <laughs> but uh, Baker, let's pull you in this conversation because you've been sitting there all quiet, like even though your daughter's yeah, not what? banging on the door now, like well, every, time I, every time I get ready to talk. Well, just, just be just faster like, just on like, the draw. Just like letting it go. Pew. I can't. I can't get this <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> you're old. You're I'm the youngest all. one in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I've used up all my energy running after a two-year-old all weekend. Give me they got break. two kids. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Older than two. Bigger. Let's talk. What questions you got? Okay. Add to this conversation. What do I pay you for? I said I was trying to. When you, I don't get paid. <laughs> I do this for free. <laughs> um, but the um, honoring of the animal and, every, and everything like that, that's one thing that as a, as a hunter, I wish that I had done more of, of the, the animals that I had taken. And I have honestly, I've not killed, I've not killed any animals since I became a pig. And that is one thing that I really do regret is not honoring the animal the way I did. And that's a part of why I, I've, you put so much energy and effort into the deer skull that I have sitting on my uh, on my altar, because that was the first buck that I ever killed, and I didn't properly honor him. And I do re I, re I regret the, uh, the you know the hell out of that you know for you know lack of better words or anything like that. Um, so what what is something that y'all do about um, what y'all's process for honoring the animals? 
Um, well, a lot of times, uh, yeah, I like to I like to start a fire. I think everything starts with the fire. Fire is good for the folk. Um, it kind of, I believe, it sort of opens up that connection between us and the gods, um, the, the land spirits, and uh, the ancestors. You know, kind of whoever you're trying to communicate with, of course. And um, a lot of it is, you know, kind of time consuming. So I try to gear my thoughts towards, you know, either that animal's life or, you know, my ancestor's way of living and why that animal's life um, would have been honored in their community, why it should be honored in our new Neo ever expanding full throttle community and uh, ways to try to use, to bridge the gap there to try to use the old ways and the old gods to um, bring some sort of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, to help, like right balance? Some wrong, help right some of the wrongs of today's society. So I just remembered a funny thought because I didn't bring it up originally. <laughs> I forget what distracted me. But one of the things that I loved about our first meeting is that your Instagram profile picture before arriving there was you with like no hair and no beard. And so I was looking for this guy that looked like he was just like kind of out of high school, kind of like a little bit of a punk. And like <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you come around and you're like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so from Instagram. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I just like gave you guys a hug. And I'm like, I think it took me like five minutes to reflect like, oh, damn. <laughs> and I think I gave you crap when you got back. I was like, you need to change that profile picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, see, um, I hadn't really used my Instagram in years is kind of what that had come down to. And I had done so much growing in that time. I had kind of encountered some of the largest obstacles of my life um, between uh, fatherhood, love and loss, the loss of my grandmother that raised me. And, you know, I really um, kind of started to seek spirituality in that time. And uh, I'd done so much growing. It was been about five years, I think. And then I saw uh, some sort of comment somewhere where somebody had mentioned, um, if you seem shady on Instagram, like you don't only got a couple of photos or uh, if you're brand spanking new that you, you might not really um you, you, you seem questionable you know you're like who the heck is this guy trying to get a hold of me i'm like well trying, i'll just trying to catfish us yeah, fire that sucker back up so <laughs> yeah yeah i got some new ones on there though a little updated <laughs> now a little updated i try to do my best to keep up on the technology thing but i'm a little bit more of a fire and steel sort of guy so uh but after having been connected to this community the my sense of folk is just really grown and I want to continue to learn all of the lessons of the people. I, I feel as if I'm allowed to grow day in and, and day out through the teachings of this community and the people herein. We had disconnected from our phones for quite a while and then we had to kind of reconnect to our phones when we uh, met a community that we had to keep in contact with on our phones. So we're just yeah. getting back <laughs> into the technology age. Yeah. <laughs> Taking so, the wildlings out of the woods a little bit. Yeah. All of a sudden you realize you couldn't get Discord on flip phones and you're like, crap. Right. Yeah, right. Phones <laughs> are not like riding a bicycle. You don't just remember that stuff. It, it kind of just leaves your mind sometimes. We got one of those big crank phones on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
<laughs> so one thing to actually uh, I wanted to bring up a little bit because I actually don't really know this too well myself is what if what is your spiritual story you know how long have you been following the pagan path so to speak and um, oh Ian finally remember that was his question well I stole it from you Ian um, <laughs> <laughs> well this uh, this is coming from Ian himself so yeah kind of tell us uh, you know a little bit about both of your stories you know kind of where how did you end up here well I'd say um been on the path for a while without really knowing it always been drawn to nature and nothing ever really felt right tried all of the different uh different religious paths I can't say all of the different religious paths I tried the Christian religious path even when I was young like my parents weren't but I tried it and it just nothing ever felt right so I never claimed any religious path and I was just always drawn to nature um and then recently I'd say, man, what month is it? Uh, what year is it? What year is it? Is it 99? I think it's March. <laughs> 1899? Well, I'd say, I, I want to say it was around September so that we were finally able to kind of put a, put a name with it, put a name where we've been being drawn. And it was actually him who who found it and once he brought it up it just all kind of clicked and and then here we are and we actually are here through like we were uh watching a lot of Heilung and Danheim and Wardrena type videos on YouTube while we were crafting um we try to listen to spiritual music while we craft and try to put that type of positivity into our into our craft so and then one of your videos popped up and that's how we're actually here <laughs> nice i'm glad the the high long wardruna river takes you to the wisdom of odin now that's nice <laughs> yeah, yeah it, well at least it did then <laughs> yep, i believe it was uh let's see which video is it my daily routine as a norse pagan yeah that was yeah, one. Yeah. and that was very helpful that was very helpful because we were like brand new yeah. Well, I love this I guess, like uh, Go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say the the dichotomy of my life is really interesting because I, I tend to make videos for more people that live in like city environments because I live in a city environment um, and grow up as a, you know, a, a quote unquote modern pagan, you know, I mean, shoot, I run a YouTube channel. Um, and so it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, that's where my content has been made for. But through the community that I've created through the wisdom of Odin community, these gatherings, I've become more connected to the earth. And like, as you guys saw at this last gathering, like it was a big Vanir related gathering for me, just like really connecting to nature and the earth. Uh, and I think part of it is because I've met so many people now, like, you know, Logan and Mary from the first gathering, Logan is one of the most, you know, like he's a biologist by, you know, by profession. So I've learned so much about nature. I've learned from Parker about trees. Um, and, you know, they've taught me how to actually hike. I mean, I didn't even start taking the, the you know, the trails off the main trail before I met them. And of course, Baker, you know, you brought the the deer hooves and the, the deer flanks to the the midsummer gathering and you know so this community in itself has made me more connected to the earth uh and made me more against the the smartphone age and things like that um which is the again the irony and the dichotomy of you know i make my content for city living pagans but now i'm becoming more of a wild man. <laughs> <laughs> the wilderness calls yeah <laughs> that's one of the things that i love about whenever i first met y'all at yule i think i don't know if i was the first person y'all met after you got out of your vehicle but i know that i was there whenever y'all were unloading 
and I'm just like, whoa, who are the who are the wild looking people with all the all the pelts and the bones and stuff? <laughs> you actually were the first person we met because I remember you That's came up to cool. us. We were right outside of our car, and you took the first thing you told us about was the gift box full of bones in the in the uh, main house. <laughs> yeah, see, I forget yeah. things like that. It's I've slept a lot since then. <laughs> There's been a yeah. lot of sleep since Kentucky Yule. There has. <laughs> No, I've got a, I've got a, Lindsay, you brought it up, um, talking about when um, you are making your instruments and stuff like that um, with like a, a spiritual aspect to it. Like, I mean, having done some, some, uh, like I said, minor crafting myself, I mean, it, you do put a lot of effort into it. Um, kind of similar as far as, William, what you were saying with like a, a process as far as honoring the animal. Do you guys do any sort of like, I don't want to necessarily say a ritual, but do you have like a, a almost like a, uh, I don't even want to say a standard, but like a, a process when it comes to making the instruments as far as even honoring like the, the tree that the wood comes from and, and things like that, the materials that you use, like, do you have a process like that? Because I know just for example, I made a, a Loki idol for a member of the community and it, you know, it wasn't very big. It was maybe size of like your standard pen as far as how tall it was. Um, you know, and I thought, okay, I could probably do this in a couple of weeks, you know, if I spent a good amount of time with it. And it ended up turning into like a three hour or not three hour, a three month process because, you know, I would start working on something and I would, I'd be thinking, you know, like, okay, how would Loki, how would Loki look to me if I was making this, uh, you know, this idol and stuff like that. So I started basing around that. And every now and then I would go to make like a move and like a certain cut and my knife would just slip and I would hit my thumb. I was like, all right, Loki doesn't want this look. I'm going to set it down kind of a thing, you know, and I'd come back to it and the weakness why it ended up taking so long. Um, but do you guys have any, like a process, you know, of kind of like, okay, this is where I want it to go or feel how the instrument wants to appear or is it, you know, what, yeah, what do you guys, like, what's the kind of the process with that? Um, I think the main process in honoring especially our wooden instruments is the fact that we um, don't use power tools because you have to feel every single cut and then you sit there and you sand each piece. You have to go through each grit and sand out each little scratch and nick. And it's very much what the wood will allow you to do what you can do with it that way. Cause there's going to be knots and there's going to be, um, like deeper holes and uh, grain differences. So it's very much um, just kind of knowing what the, the piece of wood you're working with, what that's going to allow and, and moving forward with that and honoring it, try, not forcing it to do anything it's not willing to do for you. And that's in regards to violins and, or um, taggle harpas, of course, and uh, lyres. Um, the way that we also like to honor uh, the willows and the animals' lives that go into the drums is uh, when we go into, we have multiple willow patches. We have 130 some odd acres of swampland that we work from. And uh, we have a few different willow patches that we go into and we only take um, a specific age maturity willow and uh we always search you know kind of ask the plants and once we start feeling unwelcomed say nicks in your fingers or stumbling through the willow patch it seems as if it starts to build after you grab more willows eventually we're unwelcome once we stop feeling welcome in the willow patch 
we move on to the next willow patch or we call it a day. Um, now, uh, we also spend time with our, our travel altars in the willow patch. So Lindsay was doing that just yesterday when we were gathering harvest uh, for more willow drums. And she was gifted, uh, I, I believe it was- A beaver skull. A beaver skull. A beaver skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, is, if you put the time and you put the praise in, you're only, you don't wear out your welcome, you're giving gifts. So you, you can work in harmony with nature. Um, it's kind of the same thing with the hides. We start the fire, you know, the, the process begins. It's a multi-day process. A lot of it is trying, what I attempt to do personally is gear my thoughts towards my ancestors and the hard work involved in something as simple as tanning a hide to make something for your child to stay warm over winter or um, to use to make a pouch to carry while foraging during a hunt. Um, you know, life was much more difficult then and I think then that it will help us gear away from a throwaway culture that we're living in today in, the, in this society. Uh, we love long distance backpacking and um, we, th this is kind of an off-topic subject, I suppose, a little bit, but um, we, we were kind of noticing, kind of re in regards to a throwaway culture, I'm sorry, in regards to a throwaway culture, we, we uh, were trying to research where we wanted to backpack next, and so we're like doing YouTube searches, <clears throat> and uh, it says uh, backpack training at Mount Trashmore, Mount Trashmore, right? Now, I'm from this place called Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's small, it sucks, don't look it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's literally a sign, you know those little brown signs for like city attractions and stuff? It says Mount Trashmore on it. What it, what it is, is it used to be our landfill and they kept packing it in with dirt. This uh, is the highest point in town. It's the tip top of Cedar Rapids and they put a lookout tower on top of this mountain of garbage. Well, I was going, oh man, these people were backpacking in my hometown. Uh, that sadly was not the case. These Mount Trashmores are popping up everywhere because of an over consuming society. And I think uh, that has a lot to do with the fact that it's all turning a machine for a paycheck to just buy disposable items because they want your money. They want you to continuously do that week after week where if we could connect deeper to the forest, to the hard work involved, we wouldn't be taking from the earth as much. And we would probably as a people, I think as a whole, um, be more connected and uh, appreciate the lands and the animals lives that go into the hard work involved. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I look at, you know, shoot, I bought, you know, the drum, you know, the three drums, I think there were four drums I bought for the community back in midsummer. You know, I was just like everybody else. I went on amazon.com, looked up, you know, drums and sure enough, there it is behind me on the wall. And it's a Remo drum, it's fine. But, you know, at the same time, you know, these drums were not designed to last very long and it's only been a year and it's already falling apart. 
Um, they made it very hard to maintain because you have to buy a certain type of cord, you have to buy, you know, a certain type of, you know, materials for it that you can't easily obtain. And so I'm sure many people would just take it and probably pitch it when it breaks at some point or when it becomes too loose. Um, and, you know, now, of course, you know, looking at the drums you guys make, obviously, you know, um, I, I believe you, you, you're sending me one or you sent me one. Um, and, you know, it's like, I look forward to cherishing that and maintaining that and knowing the people that made it um, just adds so much more of a story. And which is, you know, one of the reasons I'm glad we have you guys on this podcast um, is not only to, you know, raise awareness for, you know, the work you guys do. I hope you get flooded with so much work, you need to, you know, hire somebody or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, having a story behind it, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons that we are so attached to like things like bones, you know, it's like we find a piece of bone and it's like, cause there's a story there. I mean, I think you, you found a, a bone, like a skull at uh, the spring gathering, right? We both did. You both did. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have yet to find a skull. We pulled two entire deer out and it was actually both of our first skulls that we've ever pulled out of the woods. Uh, there was um, a full rib cage around them, pelvis. I mean, the, the whole deer right there it was kind of neat. Uh, I was actually vicariously perched upon uh, downed uh, oak across this ravine. And I was kind of thinking, man, this is a bad idea. Why am I out here? And lo and behold, right at that moment, I see a deer skull, the first one I've ever found in the woods, you know, and I've, I work with these animals lives a lot and a lot more frequently recently. So I felt as if um, it was a gift, you know, it was a gift from the woods. And it kind of felt like a beautiful thing. Yeah, so I mean, I oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, like a, a similar thing, you know, when I was I was doing a little bit of a of a wandering um at towards the end of last month and I was in the Ozarks um towards the end of my trip and I stayed the night there, you know, and then the following morning I went to go do an offering um, you know, for the land spirits for you know keeping me safe while I was there and you know, keeping me safe in my travels and just being able to experience the beautiful forest and the lake that I was near. And uh, yeah, you know, I made my little offering out there and I started, I kind of got a little lost and I found my way back to the trail, um, you know, and then there was a part of me that said, go off the trail in this particular direction towards the lake. And very similarly, I found almost an entire, you know, deer skeleton. And I was immediately like, oh, this is like, this is a gift from the last place. Like, thank you. And I, everything that I had left that I was planning on eating for myself, you know, I gave it, this is like, yep, I, I got it. I got the hint, you know, like, Thank you for for this. Now here's even more. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up traveling like another twelve hours with a deer skeleton in the back <laughs> of my car, you know. But it, yeah, it's things like that that kind of just really connect you because it wasn't. I was thinking about it, you know, the other day. Um, if that had been me, say, ten years, like five years ago, I was just like, oh, that's a skeleton of a deer. Like, oh, it's kind of cool, you know. I wouldn't have really thought anything of it. You know, now it's, yeah, it's a whole completely different thing. You know, I want to do something to honor that deer's life, you know, and because it's almost completely skeleton, there's barely anything left on it. So, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of honoring where that animal came from in its life that it did live, you know, and now I've been, you know, in a sense, gifted uh, that skeleton to preserve it and do something with it instead of it just necessarily just sitting in the forest un, unknown to anybody and just kind of forgotten. I think that there's an interesting mystique also as well to uh, the skull of the animal because that was the sentience of that animal. That's that's where uh, basically the rest of your body is there to preserve 
what's kept inside of the skull. So there, to me, is a really sacred value to a skull. So I think when somebody comes across the skull in the woods, you know, it's easy to find bones. But when you, when you find a skull, I think it is a gift. You know, I think it is something that you deserve, um, that you've earned in, in one way or another. Um, and to be able to look into, uh, you know, what that animal, you know, was, I feel is a connection, deeper connection than say finding a leg bone or a rib bone, which is also a deep connection in and of itself. You, you know, you can use bones as little drums and have a great old time. <laughs> <laughs> so but anyway i guess uh to go back to how i i'm here today and uh, going back to the wandering and uh, and also lost aspect <laughs> um so it starts uh way back when i was raised as uh a christian lightly kind of you know um, the american dream sort of sort of thing i was uh born a baptist um, I was an adolescent Lutheran. I, as I grew into manhood and started to understand folk and where people have come from on different fronts and levels, I decided I wanted to go into a non-denominational church. Um, and the only connection I felt there was with the people. The strongest connection I felt was with the people which was of no surprise to me, which because the, the non-denominational church, so the only reason I was there was because I was seeking um, a greater understanding of people, uh, diversity and spirituality. Um, <clears throat> this was through some of the darker times in my life at that point when I was going to the non-denominational church. Uh, I just lost my grandmother that raised me. Um, I just exited from uh, my first marriage, uh, mother of my daughters. So I was doing a lot of soul searching and the folk, man, they, there was warmth and brightness, but I just couldn't feel anything out of the, the teachings of the Christian church. I didn't, you know, I prayed, I sought their God and I felt a lot of silence and emptiness. So, um, you know, I kind of continued to search and what I found was I absolutely loved the wilderness so I started backpacking. It's difficult. It's the fucking hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, and so um, I ended up on a solo backpacking trip uh, through the Ozark Mountains. And um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess it, it's a, a side trail. Uh, it's the oldest trail. It's the first part of the Ozarks. And it's kind of known to be one of the more difficult trails in the northern section. And I did this in mid-August. Uh, so it's just hot in Missouri, uh, real hot. And there's not a lot of water sources. A lot of them on the map are dry. And um, I'm just trucking, man, having a beautiful time. It's, it's humbling because, man, I can't tell you how many different times. <laughs> I, I'm a pretty avid hiker, and I know my way around the woods. I can pay attention to the sun and my compass. and um, I can't tell you how many different times I got off trail. And when you're out there by yourself, you know, 12, 13, 15 miles deep in the mountains, and you realize that you haven't seen a trail sign for a very long time, it, it, all of a sudden this weight sets in. Like now it's on me to get myself back <laughs> through the wilderness um, and alive. I can't panic. I can't get hurt. I can't rush. 
need to keep my mind about me and turn around. Well, you know, I did that multiple times. After a while, I was starting to feel pretty confident. Well, <clears throat> uh, now I had not planned my trip out well, and I found myself in the middle of an 11 and a half mile expanse of no water in the setting sun. So I started hoofing it. And I have a turtle shell story, which I'll circle back on here. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I was hoofing it and uh, it was getting late. And I realized the error of my ways. Now, again, once again, I was lost off trail. I'm concerned about water because I hadn't had any in hours. Again, this is mid-August and uh, I'm lost in the top of the mountains. I had not seen a single hiker aside from myself uh, the entire time. Nobody was dumb enough, I guess, to go out there at that time of year across the mountaintops. And um, I, I finally get re reoriented and I pray. I hadn't prayed in a long time. I didn't know who I was praying to. But I prayed that I'd find water. I prayed that I'd get away from the heat and that they'd deliver me there before darkness set upon me. So I began to run. I had three miles at least, nearest I could tell, to the nearest water source. Oh, also, the last time I got lost there, somehow my compass just fell off. This compass I've been hiking with for years just fell off my pack. So now it's me and the sun and the hillside. <clears throat> And uh, I take off jogging back on trail, finally. I jog three and a half miles <clears throat> over some of the rockiest flipping terrain I have ever hiked. And uh, beaten and bruised, I, as the sun is turning orange and red over the mountainside, I reach the Johnson shut-in area in the most beautiful clear water I've ever seen. And it was spiritual. You know, I, I made it, I prayed and I made it. And somebody delivered me there. They gave, they granted me strength because I was already completely dehydrated from uh, the, the miles and miles prior to this point. And somebody allowed me to get through the muscle cramps and get there before darkness set upon me. And uh, I got to sit there and watch the most beautiful sunset I'd ever seen. It was the most liberating thing I'd ever had to have that clear water. Um, it was it was spiritual. I kept myself alive. The gods kept me alive. Um, and I went to sleep. The next morning, I saw the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was mist on top of the mountainside. And I just knew that the gods were there with me. Um, and shortly thereafter, I returned home. Um, and I could put faces to them. And uh, names to him, Odin and Freyr, and uh, thanks to you guys, I had a community to fit in with. Here I am. That's awesome. Uh, now, it reminds me so much of the story. Uh, I mean, it was obviously not as long as a hike, but when uh, Caleb and I and seven other guys set out to the climb that mountain, it was the longest hike I have ever personally done uh, to climb, a, you know, the third tallest mountain on the East Coast, you know, coming from the fact that two years previously, I could barely climb a single hill without getting exhausted. You know, it was definitely like, uh, you know, something I, I really look forward to. Um, but, you know, when we got to the top and the reality of you are climbing on a mountain set in when a snowstorm, a snowstorm hit the top of the pass and it's like, okay, I got nine people 
three of which are exhausted. We're four and a half miles in the air. It's four hours back down and it's a snowstorm at two o'clock in the afternoon in winter. Like we have four hours of daylight left and we might get stuck up here. And it was that reality set in of nature is dangerous. Nature is beautiful. What do you do? Well, we got to survive this. So it's like, we only have a few options and the best option is get down this mountain. And it's like, you know, we had a band together as a community to get off that mountain, but also just put trust because we de we devoted the entire hike to the Thor. Uh, well, many of us voted to several deities, but you know, my primary thing was for Thor. And it was like, I got to I got to climb to the top because otherwise I'm going to let Thor down and I got to get back down because otherwise I'm going to let Thor down. So without the gods backing me without having that pressure behind, you know, saying I devoted this to a God, I would have never reached that top. I would have given up at 30 minutes, a mile beforehand, because I would have just been like, no, I'm, I'm tired. I'm getting off this mountain. But the gods pushed me to get to the top of that. And yes, was it dangerous when we got there when the snowstorm happened and it snowed four to five inches and in half an hour? Yeah, it was terrifying. But just like you, you know, we got through it and we found ourselves on the edge of a mountain the snowstorm had just ended and you all you could see was just the smoky mountains all around you there was sun was setting and it was beautiful um and it's like we were alive we made it through and you know that's also when we ran into that strange blonde woman on the side of the mountain that we're fairly convinced was scotty uh who is definitely playing a joke on us but you know that's a that's a different story on a different podcast <laughs> Yeah, actually, the uh, the background for the uh, like the wisdom of Odin right now on the uh, like the background of the YouTube page is actually that picture I took from there, um, just because of just how powerful it was. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those views where you're not going to get to see that view very often. And it definitely sticks in your mind. I wish cameras yeah. were better. <laughs> yeah. They never do it justice. They never do it justice. Now, the vistas on top of mountains are some of the most beautiful, enlightening wild things I've ever seen. I, I really would love to see a snow-capped one. I've actually never seen a snow-capped mountaintop before. Have you ever not, been... not up close. I've seen them from down low, but... <laughs> yeah, so wait, have you been out west to like Colorado and whatnot? I have, but um, I never hiked in Colorado. Not, mm. not that high. I hiked a, a waterfall, actually, which was gorgeous. It was amazing. It was a, a eight and a half no, 18 and a half mile hike up and down this, it, but it was back and forth through waterfalls. So some of it was um, kind of walking across logs and stones and the rest of it was swimming through puddles back and forth. And they, they said it was an easy hike. It was, <laughs> it was a green level hike. I'm like, holy moly. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I found that easy level hikes out West are a lot different than easy level hikes here on the East coast. <laughs> Not kidding, man. I was like, darn man. I, I wasn't expecting an easy level hike having a swim or three of them actually but hey i loved it i was having a great time it was beautiful actually um it was called green mountain falls and uh with again the the, the uh gravity of nature set in i'm out there having a grand old time and i was pretty young back in those baby face days you were talking about on my instagram <laughs> and uh you know, I wasn't really a wild man back then. I'd been through scouts and, you know, I actually went through Boy Scouts all the way up to Eagle Scouts and whatnot. So, I mean, I've always been kind of a wilderness oriented person, but I found myself at setting sun, you know, probably eight miles deep in the wilderness where I was um, walking in originally saw signs saying um, bear and mountain lion country stay clear sunrise and sunset and I'm like oh boy <laughs> here I am at the mercy of the wilderness and uh 
I think uh, it's humbling as people to find ourselves in those situations because we're so padded in the city living that I also grew up in. Uh, <laughs> that sometimes we forget that we're not at the top of the food chain, man, especially when you don't have a sidearm or a shotgun or some sort of something to fend off that big old killing machine. <laughs> so yeah, um, go ahead, Ian. I've talked a lot this um, episode. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I definitely agree with that, like that humbling experience of you know potentially getting lost or just being in nature as a whole. Um, I mean, unfortunately, like where I'm at in New Mexico, there's not a whole lot. Like where I am in particular, there's not a whole lot of of wilderness. I have to go, you know, two to three hours in any direction. Um, you know, but I can attest to like what Jacob said as far as some of these these trails and stuff out west being on a whole different level as far as oh what is what is easy um one of the canyons that i like to frequent um here that's in texas uh yeah one of their like moderate you know to beginner level things is a 14 14 mile hike you know and it it goes over some very sketchy areas of rock and stuff like that you know and i i did that actually i took that trail because of jacob um sending me an interesting message saying you need to go here because somebody's waiting for you but yeah and at the end of that trail you know i found it. i had a very a very you know spiritual experience on this cliff edge you know when I, by the time i finished it um but yeah i was exhausted and there's i definitely could have given up there's a certain part where you know i was i easily could have said oh, i'm going to turn around here and, and and go home but yeah, you kind of get that that sense of I actually had started to go back because I hadn't felt anything or what I was thought I was gonna experience. But then you know there's that force that that told me you know you need to turn around and keep going further on. And yeah, yeah it's it's very humbling experience being out in situations like that. So next uh, next goal I want to try to climb a mountain now. Definitely, our very first hike we went to the Ozarks. We had no idea what we were doing backpacking wise. We're always outside, always walking. So we're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be easy. You know, we're in good shape. You know, we walk all the time. We got the right muscles for it. Well, we way overpacked, and by the end of the day, it felt like uh, where we were first starting, it was quite a ways to the first water source. And we're like, oh, this is going to be no problem. You know, we walk that far in a day a hundred times before, no problem. Well, it's a lot different when you pack, like, I don't know, it felt like a hundred pounds in my backpack. It probably wasn't that much, but it was like a hundred pounds in my backpack. And by the time we made it there, my knees were given out on me. My calves were sore. I didn't know when we were going to make it to water. I'm like, this map is lying to us. We're never going to make it to water. It's never <laughs> going to appear. It's just non-existent. We get to the bottom of this hill and I see what looks like a creek, a dry creek. And I like, I, I just kind of have a little bit of a breakdown. I'm not going to lie. I have a bit of a breakdown and we had to like push through a little bit farther because if we didn't find water, we were going to, we were going to be in serious trouble. We were out of water. Our packs were out of water. It was bad news. We walked like maybe a hundred feet farther and there was the actual creek that we were looking for. Small river almost. Small river, the clearest water. It was amazing. It was amazing. And that was probably one of the most, um, uh, moments filled with gratitude I've, I've ever had for what nature had to offer and uh, 
having like fear, like the first time I really had fear of what nature could do. And it was, uh, it was pretty beautiful. It was exhilarating and painful. (laughs) That night, actually, I had a very fond memory. Um, I was also dying of thirst. So the, the crystal clean, clear water of the small river was also rather enlightening in some ways. And, um, but that night, was the most beautiful, clear, starlit night I think I've ever seen. Um, And I think that what kind of it goes to show is if you push on harder, a lot of times it's just a little bit farther or just a little bit farther than that, you know? But if you turn back, you gotta double back over all that regret. So if you push forward, in life as in hiking as in life you will be rewarded well i think i think uh i know it's fine i think i brought it up right after we got back from the men's retreat and we climbed that mountain um is that that lie i told myself every time i got another little bit further on the mountain um it was like oh i see the next spot I'm going to see the top when I get there. And I'm like pushing through to the other side. I'm feeling my body burn. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Cause I'm about to reach there and we're going to be at the top. And then you get there and you look left and there's another incline to the next little perch. And you're like, <laughs> that's the one, that's the one that's going to be the top. And you go there, you know, and sure enough, I think I did that half a, a dozen times, two dozen times. And it's like, <laughs> you can't do that to yourself in life either is you can't say, Oh, well, it'll be over at this point, you know, six days, seven days, when I reach this point, um, is life is always going to have another twist and turn, you know, it's all about pacing yourselves and realizing that eventually you'll get there. But you can't, you know, we can't lie to ourselves sometimes. <laughs> and we just this have to accept me. that, that what was that? Oh, I'm sorry, man. This reminds me of a little bit of hiking yep. philosophy, actually. Um, it, it's uh, the act of taking a single step, It'll get you out of bed in the morning, but if you and if you put one in front of the other, it'll get you to the sink. If you keep doing that, that seemingly simple, innocuous act, it could lead you to the tops of mountains and down to another one and another and another. So as long as you continue forward one step at a time, it'll lead you to great things. You just have to set your sights on goals. I don't know how people feel about Bear Grylls anymore, but every now and then he said some good things. Um, and I, I will never forget when he was talking about like, you know, long distance hiking, especially uphill, is that you can't focus on the next perch. You just focus on one step after another. And that's all you do. And eventually you'll get there. Um, because just like I was just saying, like, if you focus on the next the next milestone, you're not, it's not going to satisfy you, you know, and you're just going to be more let down. But all you can focus on is the steps you take every single day. When we finally did see the top of that mountain, though, it was something else. Now, now the funny thing is, is the we reached the top of the mountain, but it had like three peaks you could go visit um, that were just a little bit higher, like 20 feet higher or whatever. Uh, and I didn't reach one of those because that's when the snowstorm happened. Uh, and you know what? I was perfectly okay with it because uh, Logan Parker and uh, Beck had went to one of the peaks and the snow was coming down so much they couldn't even see anything they said it was a whiteout up there and i was like yeah i'm much more focused on getting off this mountain alive i'm okay (laughs) for not seeing a whiteout like i reached the top of this damn mountain (laughs) those passes were sketchy as hell oh yeah it was that we had to get down i mean it's like you had you had a spot that was like two or three foot wide and then it's a drop off the only thing you got there is a little wire that you're holding on a little cable yeah, yeah. all I could like, think of I was that, man. Fall. 
Well, the there was that. Dic- the All Father dictates that you use your wisdom in these situations. Sometimes you just can't reach that highest peak, man. It's just not worth it. You've gone as far as you need to go. Right. Well, and I think it's the, uh, <laughs> to bring it back to the old, some Talladega nights, you know, if you ain't first, your last concept is bullshit <laughs> because, yeah, because it's like, uh, hell you could even be fourth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Like, did I reach the peak of that, uh, the peak of that mountain? No, but I climbed that mountain and I do not care. I still won that day. <laughs> that's right. You did. That's right. I didn't need to see draw the line. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's like, not everyone can be first in this world, no matter what career you're going in, uh, no matter what you do, you know, and let alone, you know, in the, the over, like the huge population of people we have, you know, like look at basketball, like you have to set that own term for what is good enough for you. Like, are you going to be good in your own neighborhood? Are you going to be good in your, in your state? Or are you going to judge yourself based on national football or national basketball? If you judge yourself based on LeBron James, you're going to be always disappointed. But if you can set those goals for yourself, where you're like, I'm going to beat the next neighborhood over as best basketball players. You're going to feel really good. <laughs> right. And who ended up, you know, with the gold medal in that situation, the guy that called the quits at the proper time or those that struggled through wide out to see a wide out. You know what I mean? It's all about using your wisdom and your smarts, your gut instinct a lot. And I think the, uh, your ancestors will speak to you and the gods will speak to you and tell you maybe when you're getting into a bad situation, it's time to call it quits. Oh man, there was, as far as like when we were up there trying to work our way back down, that's the most connected I've ever felt to my ancestors, just because of like just how bone chilling the wind was and everything like that. It was, it was, it was, I want to say it was enlightening, but it was, uh, it was slightly terrifying. It's like, we might actually die today. I don't know. Anonymous. I don't think people mutually exclusive. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think people realize that how far removed we are from death all the, you know, like, shoot, 100 years ago, death was not as far removed as it was now. Now, you know, we, most of us can go about life, you know, as long as we don't have some serious medical thing pop up, we usually don't have to fear it. We usually don't have to think about it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about paganism, but also about explore, uh, exploration and going out into nature is that you have to surrender your comforts, you have to surrender that, that disbelief that death isn't all around us at any given time. And I think that's, that's what you really need to find faith. And that's what you need to find religion is that is that fear is that life is small, and life is fragile. Live it for a reason. Yeah. You got to find I think what's important to you as a person to honor the life that we've been gifted. Um, and uh, through through the lines of our ancestors, uh, I believe it's shown to us uh, what what is important. And it's, I think, a big deal to listen to what draws you. I think a lot of people are so worried about that American dream. And, and I mean, I've been caught in that cycle too, um, that they forget to, to dream themselves. Um, Just turning the wheel for somebody else's dream. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think a, a good example of this, and we do need to get closer uh, to ending this podcast, but uh, my last little my last little story here is when I'm I was- having a Bra- great time. No, yeah, no, I'm glad you have a great time too, but we do we do try not to keep these too long. Um, <laughs> but- um, I miss you guys. I miss you guys. It's hard to say goodbye. Right, right. 
Uh, no, I feel you. It's only been a week. <laughs> well, what am I going to do, man? <laughs> um, so, yeah, like uh, back when I was in restaurant management, back when I was was part of the corporate machine because I worked for a franchise and I had to listen to the franchise and listen to corporate. And one of the reasons I definitely got out of that because it was awful. Um, but I'll never forget, like I, I worked. So out of the 386 stores in the entire corporation, I was number zero. Like I was the worst operating store. Now it wasn't my fault. I got in when it was the worst operating store because I, I wanted a, a challenge. Um, but we were at the rock bottom. So the dreams of being number one were non-existent. And just like in life, like you can't look, you know, I think we made like $20,000 a week was our break even. And we usually made about 10. So we were losing money. The number one stores were making $45,000, $50,000 a week. So I can't judge myself compared to them because, you know, that was going to only make me go crazy. And that's what corporate wanted me to think like. They wanted me to think, how do you get to the $50,000 a week? I'm like, well, well, shoot, I just want to get to break even. And so that became my goal while I was there. I was like, I will get us to break even. I will do whatever it takes. Um, and sure enough, you know, by the end of my two years managing that store, not only did we break even, we finally did a $20,000 week. We did a $25,000 week. We did a $24,000 week. Did we, did we ever become number one? No, but we weren't number zero anymore. <laughs> Personal goals, man. That's what's important. It's about living your own life and seeking your own dreams and destiny, your own ways. And when you, uh, there was, I don't, there was this little plaque growing up in my grandmother's house. It said, aim high, aim far. Uh, your goal, the sky, your aim, the stars. Now, what this tells me is to set intermediary goals towards a larger dream. And I believe a lot of people have lost their dreams worrying about bills. And it's a, it, it's a nerve wracking thing. Um, but as listeners, I dare you to dream. Think about what is important to you and drive for that because it will bring you happiness in your day-to-day -day life. And I promise you this. Yeah, if we go down the self-help road, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do personally in this world is get out of debt. It's, it's hard. It can be really hard because I think that is one of the things that hold us back the most from our dreams is because we think, oh, well, you know, I got to, I got to pay my bills. I got to, you know, pay off these debts, but then we are our own worst enemies because we get ourselves more into debt. We buy another car, we buy another phone, um, we buy the next, you know, game console or something like that. And we become more part of the system. And that's honestly what the system wants. They want you to remain in debt all of your life. Um, and the best way to fight the system is to get out of debt. Um, and it can be hard, you know, like personally right now, I think I still have about $35,000 total debt from student loans, car payments and things like that. But every day, you know, every month when I sit down to do my bills, I pay just a little bit more towards one thing. Um, and it's not going to happen right away, but that's life at the same time too. You got to take that one step. You know, you can't focus on the fact that you have $35,000 in debt. I focus on the fact that I have $2,000 in debt for the laptop I'm talking to you on right now because I had to buy it in a, my laptop broke. This is my job. I had to buy it. But every month I take one more step to paying it off. And in four months, I think at this point, it'll be completely paid off and I can move to the next thing. It might take me five years, but I have a plan to get out of debt. And I feel like having a plan, that is one of the biggest things you can do because most people don't have one. They just keep getting further and further into the, into the debt, debt cycle. You have to have a plan and constantly be taking, even if they're baby steps, 
you always have to be taking baby steps towards reaching that final goal. Like it's like you said, you pay a little bit more. It's just a little bit at a time, but that's going to add up over time. You can never reach your goals if you're not willing to take small steps. Goals, big goals won't happen overnight. You have to be willing to make that hike to get there. And consuming less will also help chip away at debt, you know, and it helps work with sustainability in our own lives and, and with the land, you know, being minimalist, as you've mentioned yourself as being. And uh, I think that there's a good, um, that's th a very good way of living. Uh, it, it's not taking more than giving, it's being mindful. And I think that that's very important in a day to day and personal lives as well as in this faith. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing the same gray shirt I wear every single day. I have two flannels. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, and honestly, like, you know, I don't even think about like how fashion is uh, as a way people spend money because like, I don't even, it's been years since I've worried about my fashion. I wear the same thing every single day. And so like, if I wear out this shirt, I go buy another gray shirt, you know, it's, $10. But there are people that spend hundreds of dollars a month on their clothing. And it's like, I, I, I can't even connect to that anymore. Um, and it takes a bit going in the garbage, you know, or going, oh, yeah. to, or going to Goodwills, which is great. It is. But then after that inter intermediary stop there, it, it almost certainly is going into the garbage once again. So it's about consuming less as a people. Being more minimalist, I think, as a people and, and uh, stop bringing less into our households. One thing I, we started to shoot for is stop putting out so much from our households. If we're bringing in less, we're going to naturally be putting out less uh, uh, garbage, trash, um, less plastic bags, less wrappers, less crap for mount trash mords and other things that I've complained about earlier in this podcast. <laughs> Um, and it'll lead, lead to a, a more sustainable way of living as a people. Um, we'll have something sacred and protected to gift to our grandbabies and our great grandbabies and, and, our, and our descendants um, will we'll have lands that are beautiful and fertile. If we keep doing this, consuming constantly, mindlessly, they're going to be gone. We're going to have multiple Mount Trashmores in every city because once they can, they shut down that first Mount Trashmore in Cedar Rapids, they opened up two more on the other sides of town. So things are going to keep popping up unless we start being more mindful about our consumption as a people. Yeah, our PSA for the day is that the uh, Pacific Trash Island that most people do not realize exists is now twice the size of France. And it is just floating out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And it's, it's still growing. Yep. Twice, twice the size of a country. Yeah. No, twice the size of France. God. I, no, no, I think maybe the last time I checked, it was twice the size of Texas, which is bigger than France. And that uh, is just the stuff that is gathered together in an island, not to mention all the yeah. other crap. And think about what COVID has done to us with all of these disposable masks. I shit you not, I had a nightmare about jellyfish. And then I looked a little close. They weren't jellyfish. They were masks floating in the ocean things wildlings dream about <laughs> well yeah i mean i think it um 
And that's something, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I go hiking now because obviously I, I always bring uh, trash bags with me and I, how many times I see disposable mask laying around and it's like, oh, that breaks my heart. And it, to me, there is nothing more symbolic of the last year we've lived in uh, than seeing disposable masks uh, thrown around as trash. Um, I, think it, I think I looked it up and somewhere near like 8 billion disposable masks are used every single day and thrown into the trash. And it's like, so you take that number and you multiply it by 365 days plus now. I mean, it is unheard of how many disposable masks are just now floating out there in the ocean and in our trash heaps because of the last year. Yep. I, 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 uh, I get pretty bad anxiety whenever I think about what this pandemic has done to the economy because you have to get single serve like you go to a restaurant and you can't go get refills with your cups. You have to get a new cup every time and the disposable masks. It's uh, I try not to think about it too much because it does. It gives me pretty bad anxiety when I oh, think about seriously, it. Oh, seriously, like when I left the last gathering, uh, we went up through Columbus to back down uh, and like just leaving a wonderful gathering where we were cleaning up trash and hailing the land spirits and we're driving down the interstate and literally for like 20 miles, the entire middle of the interstate is just covered in trash. Like not just a little bit, but it was like deep trash. And I'm like, what? it was like immediately, like the, the purity of my spring experience was just gone. <laughs> like how many times do you see driving down the highway, just like countless uh, plastic bags and stuff wrapped up in trees and stuff. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Or there, it was sad. There was a squirrel that was so desperate for different debris to uh, make himself a winter nest that he was picking at some sort of garbage up in our tree. I grown into it. It had grown into our tree, man. And you know, this is the world we're living in. I think that, like you were saying, the the um, the symbolism with this past year and uh, the way we take it's we're so concerned about preserving ourselves as a people that will continue to kill the lands that are keeping us alive and the waters that are keeping us alive in order to try to protect ourselves and these dust masks are really that are disposable are not gonna do the trick when you come down to it it's a lot about washing your hands and and staying you know not coughing on people not staying too close things like that you know what i mean um but living a disposable lifestyle and turning this uh, money machine with these disposable masks and these companies have to provide for us as we walk through the door and we throw them out on the way out. It's, it's about self-preservation and taking and taking and taking and taking from lands and uh, waters and, and um, animal life and spirits that just don't have that much to give anymore. Since the industrial revolution, we've had the technological revolution and we're putting so much stock in uh, these different te technology medicines um, saving us that we're taking more and more and more from the lands and we're having more and more disposable culture with it um, that it's ending us. So our, our research to save ourselves is ending us. And I think that COVID and the, our response to it has, uh, been a sure sight shot of um, seeing that happening. So on the positive side of these things, I do like to end on a, a positive note as far as like uh, <laughs> when it comes to like the, the sustainability things 
is I do think there is hope in the sense that there are a lot more people now that are aware to it. Um, and I do think paganism does play an important role. We finally have a returning faith, um, Absolutely. you know, that understands these problems. Um, and then furthermore in society, you know, I talk about trash Island, but there is actually people out there and people with money and influence that are trying to clean these things up. Like I saw the other day, I was research, researching into it and there was an entire like multi-million dollar boating, um, project into trying to, you know, take and dispose of these items in the trash Island. So it's like, yes, it's not fixing the problem yet, but at least we're taking those first steps. And maybe that's the, the theme of this podcast is we're having to take those steps. We can't just give up. We can't just walk down that mountain and say, you know, oh, it's too far. You know, it's twice the size of Texas now. No, you need, we need to take those steps. You know, we might not fix it in our lifetime and maybe in our children's lifetime, after we teach them what we've learned, we can finally stop, fi start fixing these problems. Um, but it's going to take our generation, you know, the, you know, the community that we're living in and to, to take those steps uh, to, to make the world a little bit better place, um, hopefully for our children and our children's children. Absolutely. I believe um, it, it seems as if the, the pagan community is ever expanding and growing um, with uh, the acceptance of all faiths. And that's a beautiful thing in our day and age and our generations. And I think that people in our faith and eclectic faith such as ours um, are becoming more conscientious conscientious when it comes to uh, nature and their impact on it. And I think if we continue to grow, continue to educate ourselves and one another, we can definitely leave a beautiful fertile land for uh, those that we leave behind us. Even if we all just like did a little bit, just tried to pick up a little bit every day and tried to care just a little bit and honor the, the land spirits that are around everywhere because just because we're not in nature doesn't mean they're not around. It was still their home, you know? Just try to honor them as best you can. It'd make a huge difference. Like you were saying, just take those small steps towards trying to make a difference. It's, you'll reach your goals eventually. If somebody, as it, long as we keep trying. Exactly. Exactly. Jacob Spurlock's people that go out hiking with a garbage bag, you know, yes. that makes a big difference. Gosh. That is a big difference in the community to care just that much because it's going, it's going to continue beyond taking care of your local trails and, and natural habitats. You're going to start seeing things in your city that you would take care of. And it's going to go beyond that even, you know, it's going to continue to grow. You plant a seed and you allow it to grow and see you know, what you, what you can harvest from it. It'll be beautiful. So to pull it back to crafting, because we actually do, I do try to keep these up a podcast for an hour. <laughs> we are, no, you're good. It's because it's been a good conversation. Uh, but uh, if there's a, a really big, I don't even know what to name this episode, to be honest with you. It's going to take me, I, I've been spitballing ideas. I'm like, you know, we could go like really dramatic, like the one step, you know, process to changing the world, or we can just talk about crafting, but there's so much we can talk about. Um, but just to bring it back to you guys and what you do personally um, with your crafting is mainly I wanted to get your message out there for what you, what you believe in. Um, Cause I, I really do think that um, supporting people that, you know, care about our environment, care about, you know, locally sourcing things, um, you know, it's really cool. We're Norse pagan. We, we talk about gods from Norway. That doesn't mean you need to buy a tangle of harpet from Norway. It doesn't mean you need to buy wood from there. Like we're American, you know, well, the majority of our listeners are American. The more, majority of the people in the wisdom voting community are as well. 
and so it's like buy locally you know if you're going to buy a tackle of harpa buy some from some willow wood locally harvested and sourced you know if you're going to eat meat buy some meat that is locally sourced um you know globalization has been great for certain aspects we wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for it but it has definitely hurt us in other aspects. So I definitely want people to know that you're out there, you exist, um, you, you believe in what you're doing more than just as a business, but as a spirituality and as a practice. Um, so uh, I'm gonna give it to you guys one more time. Um, please let everyone know where they can find you, uh, where they can find your shop. This is your moment, this is your spotlight. Um, so have at it. Thank you. You can find us on Etsy where our shop name is just Wildling Woods. Um, I'm just getting ready to post some new stuff on there today. Uh, we went and collected the materials. Uh, we both have an Instagram. It's Lindsay the Wildling and William the Wildling. And then our business Instagram is just Wildling Woods again. And of course, you can also contact us on the Discord for you Discord listeners. <laughs> uh, promoting the Discord, I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go ahead and sign off this episode. Thank you both again for joining us. Thank you for the conversation. Um, I can tell we're all very passionate about saving Midgard. Uh, so let's get out there and do it. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm looking outside right now. It is a beautiful spring day. Um, and it's just, it's lovely out. Um, but folk, if you would like to be on the folk podcast, please email us at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. That is all lower space. Um, we would love to hear your topics you would like to discuss and possibly have you on the show. Um, otherwise, until the hall, skull. 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 skull.